When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Dishes and Times brought to you by Basketball News. My name is Katie, and I'm joined today by a very special person we are all very grateful to know on this most hallowed of days. Well, it's Yasmin, and it's Yasmin's birthday. Happy birthday. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. How are you feeling? Of course, it's like the worst July. (laughs) (laughs) Worse because you so, mean it's like disgusting and so much precipitation. Yeah, like the whole month I've haven't experienced. I genuinely don't think I've experienced a July this gloomy before. I feel it's like, like we, hot and sweaty outside. It's horrible. Yeah, it's like we're living in the Pacific Northwest or like Vancouver, yeah, yeah. which I don't really like. Very Seattle July. It's gross. Uh, but anyways well there's still um, time to like salvage it (laughs) yeah hopefully 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 my birthday will be where it changes but um we were gonna talk just space jam this episode but uh, i feel like yesterday's game was good enough to um you know discuss and there it was full of moments i feel like it had enough um unpredictability throughout that ending um, alone could probably be an episode, but, <laughs> um, what going into, what was your vibe going into this game? Who, who did you think, um, had the upper hand in, in Phoenix? Because for me, like, I was like, okay, this is going to be the type of series where the home team wins every game, mm-hmm. but, um, the Bucks kind of, it was funny because I feel like the first two quarters, the uh, Suns had a hold on the entire game, um, and they kind of just threw that away. Like it was, it was very odd. I don't recall seeing Phoenix like kind of lose control of a game like that. I think this is like the first time I've seen it in this playoffs, especially. Yeah, I mean Phoenix. Like the Suns have had it pretty easy. Like the the Suns, I think, have only trailed once uh, in this postseason, and it was just oh for God. one game, and it was in the first round. So, like the Suns. I, they've never had their backs up against the ropes like this, can we say, like going into game six? I mean, going into this game, game five, I for sure thought they were going to take it. They came out super hot. Like they came out very strong. Um, and I think like they won, like they won the first two games in this series pretty handily. Like they, it, it wasn't really much of an effort on their part, it seemed like. Mm. Um, but the Bucks turned it around. Like the Bucks specifically turned it around, I'd say like going into that second quarter. Um, and like, they just, they just pretty much carried it from there. I think like the Suns pretty much trailed by 11 or 10 points from the half onward. So I was a bit surprised because I thought this was a kind of a must win for the Suns Yeah, um, and they didn't do it, but I did, I did want to talk about clutch Giannis <laughs> <laughs> because 
I think one thing that's really struck me uh, in this series, especially, is that he's had these phenomenal, like, like a, a, a single sequence every game almost that yeah. shows him just like head and shoulders. Like he's, he's the guy and he wants to be the guy. And I don't think it's recency bias. I think when you look at past playoff performances by Giannis, like he's had flourishes here and there, but I don't think he's had these stamps on every game. So, you know, game one, we had that chase down block on Mikhail Bridges, which like, I still think about, I love a chase down block. Yeah. So this really spoke to me game four. He had the block in the paint on Aiton. Yeah. Um, and then last night he had that slam alley-oop from Drew. Yeah. So I wanted to ask you, what do you think is driving this change in him? Um, I feel like he's kind of uh, spoken about it recently where he, um, you know, had some great quotes about um, trying to just live in the moment. Oh, I loved it, that quote. Yeah, it, it was it was really insightful because I feel like um, this is true of all players where sometimes your past failings or any kind of inadequ- inadequacies in your game, your insecurities about these things can kind of leak in the, can kind of leak out in the most trying moments and the most, you know, when the lights are brightest. But um, what's so interesting about Giannis is that he's just like, he's so uninhibited by his, the gaps, like the few gaps in his game, he's so uninhibited by them. Um, and that it, 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 I feel like that's kind of what sets him apart um, from other players. And it's, to me, it's, it's kind of like the common feature in the very best in the NBA where, you know, a poor shooting night the night before has no bearing on how they play the next day. Um, and I feel like that's what we're really seeing this postseason run, especially at this finals, like to see him kind of, uh, be that wise and experienced at only 26. Like I'm, I'm really excited to see how the rest of his career pans out because if he's already this um, confident in himself, like it's a very, it's a very um, subtle confidence, but I feel like it's the kind of confidence that has the most impact on play um, where he's not allowing, you know, uh, a postseason run from last season and, you know, a, a sweep from the, or not a sweep, but, you know, the five game loss to Miami where, you know, the team was kind of, people were saying they got to break it up <laughs> and everything. Um, he wasn't allowing that to, or, or the work, or, um, you know, you think about the counting from the audiences uh, while he's taking his free throws. These are things that would otherwise, you know, break other players <laughs> um, or, you know, um, it would haunt them. Uh game after game but he just comes in like kind of renewed (laughs) every night um and I I feel like that's been so so fun to see and it's made for all of these great moments like all all of these um exclamation mark moments like you know grabbing the alley-oop even though it was nowhere near him from Drew that was not a good alley-oop throw (laughs) but yeah (laughs) we're going to complete this there's like a what a minute left in the game. We're not going to throw this away, but I mean, um, he knows his teammates' wingspan. Maybe he was just accounting for the reach. He wanted it to look extra yeah. impressive. <laughs> Maybe it um, was a good throw. Yeah. <laughs> a, a, a throw for Giannis. Yeah. No, I, I like that counting. Do you think the counting now? Like it's so corny, but I feel like it's one of those things that because it's a bit. If they were to give it up now, like that might have also been the last chance Suns fans had to 
to do the yeah, yeah. countdown. I, I, I don't like the counting um, mm-hmm. because, I don't know, I feel like um, exactly like you're going to feel obligated to do it every game. Yeah. <laughs> kind of seems exhausting because he takes a lot of free throws. <laughs> and it only seems to be making him stronger. Like if the whole point of his counting is that it's meditative, when you have all those people almost like joining into the meditation <laughs> with you, it's like a guided meditation at this point. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, I, I, but the thing about the counting is that I think it's a very, it's a very, um, good natured, uh, taunt, I feel like, because he does take way too long with his free throws. He does. You know, so I feel like, I feel like it's, 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 I appreciate it because it's like a, it's the audience involving themselves in a game in, in a way that doesn't hurt anybody. (laughs) I I wanted to say the, the bumper sticker version Sorry, I found like a, the bumper sticker version of that quote that will probably get put on a t-shirt. <laughs> of what? <laughs> of what quote? Of Giannis's quote. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> it'll get put on one of those posters of someone like climbing a mountain, just their silhouette, <laughs> you know, like. Yeah, he's very uh, inspirational quote worthy. Like he he has a lot of those. I feel like mm-hmm. NBA players are just walking workplace posters sometimes. <laughs> yeah, but it's. When you fo- like, it's when you focus on the past, that's your ego. When you focus on the future, that's your pride. And focusing on the now is the humility. But I would recommend, like, if you haven't listened to the clip and watching the clip, because it's very funny at the beginning when he talks about um, how a player can like brag about a game, and he's like, "Guaranteed, the next game you're gonna be, you're gonna suck." <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's the he. See, he seems to really understand the nature of the game, which mm-hmm. is like. In a way that doesn't really pander to, um, you know, fanboys and fangirls online. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like some players, you know, when they have a good game, they're going to walk into the press conference to kind of give their fans material <laughs> to run with. But it seems that Giannis is really not concerned with that, win or lose. Um, which I, which it, it makes for an interesting dynamic because I feel like it's a very kind of un-American thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, no. So, um, yeah. When I feel like a, it kind of rubs other players the wrong way. Like I think last night we saw it with um, CJ McCollum and um, who was the other person who tweeted? It was CJ. Oh, CJs were a little, getting a little bit reckless. Yeah, and who was the other person? I don't remember. I didn't see the other person, but CJ you know had a, a couple, and one was bordering on like. Let's not wish uh, COVID. It was like, <laughs> if Giannis happens to enter the COVID protocols. Oh, that was Spencer Dinwiddie, yeah. Oh, yeah, okay, yeah. Dinwiddie said that. I was like, I thought that was CJ for a sec, and I was like, this doesn't seem to be yeah, this so type Spencer of reckless. Yeah, Spencer was the out-of-pocket one. Yeah, that's too reckless for CJ. But it was well, like, would Chris Middleton get finals MVP instead? Yeah, if Giannis got COVID. <laughs> Yikes, you know? Like, <laughs> would easy that, Spence. Like, they're really... <laughs> reaching for scenarios to find ways not to give Giannis finals MVP, even though he's like the clear favorite. Like even if the Suns won, like you would, you would, Mm -hmm. would still consider Giannis the best player this series. That's Mm -hmm. how clear cut it is. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. I like, and I think, you know, to your, to your point of just how sort of humble and like generally kind he is and how that doesn't, that I think is a very un-American trait. Uh, that he has. I forgot about this, but I saw someone said, uh, I think it was Tim Bontemps, that when, I forget what game that was, but when he like posterized Tim Hardaway Jr. at one point and the, the Bucks- Oh, and he jumped over him? Yes. Yeah. And like the team wanted to put that on a shirt. 
and uh, Giannis vetoed it because he thought it was disrespectful. Yeah, that's a. <laughs> I feel like any other player would have been wearing that T-shirt um, to their next game during the uh, the walk. Yes. <laughs> We've seen that in these playoffs. Yeah, I've seen, like, John Collins literally <laughs> yeah, John, did that. His John Collins did that, and look what happened to him. So, like, when it when it goes your way, sure, it looks great. But, like, as Giannis said, when you do that kind of stuff, you're sort of tempting the universe. Yeah, bad karma. Bad, very, very much bad karma. But, so we got, we have, like, clutch Giannis, and I wanted to move over to clutch Bucks because I think, yeah, like I absolutely think Giannis is the final MVP. There's no doubt about it. But the Bucks are also performing way beyond where we've ever seen them, uh, especially in a playoff situation, you know, yeah. on this final stage too. So yeah. like last night, you know, the team, they made like nine out of 10 of their first, they made nine out of 10 of their shots before Giannis even checked back into the second quarter. They shot 17 from 24 from the field. Um, and so you know, Drew Holiday is obviously proving it. Like last night, he had like 27 points, 13 assists. That wrestling steal from Devin Booker. Chris mm-hmm. Middleton has been extremely good. I think the thing with Middleton that has like, I finally come around on him because he just keeps showing up game after game in this very steady way, which I think sounds simple as hell, but it's like a very hard thing in any playoff series to just yeah. maintain that equilibrium. You know, mm-hmm. he's averaging like 23 Point nine points and five assists in the playoffs so far. So I think, I don't know. I asked you the same question about, I'll ask you the same question that I did with Giannis about the Bucks in general. What do you think is driving this change? Um, I feel like, like with, even with Drew, he's been like uncons- inconsistent this postseason, mm-hmm. but um, when he does show up, he really shows up, which I think is like what you can expect from a third option. Like he's not going to be, you know, the Robin to Giannis every single game because that's not really his role. So he's going, to, based on his usage, his efficiency will kind of um, swing game to game. So I think that's something that we can expect. Um, as for, like, I feel like the story is Chris and Giannis in this because, you know, that's the duo that the Bucks have been going with every single year. And I feel like they're just kind of showing the story of what kind of drives playoff success for teams that don't have, you know, three superstars. And that's like continuity um, together and just building chemistry over a period of time. Because like, I feel like now they didn't even have this maybe last season or la- or mm-hmm. the postseason before that, where they have a kind of a dance between, between one another that they go through every game. Like it's almost like a, it's almost scripted how they uh, perform together every game and they kind Mm -hmm. of know who comes through during which moments. It's like, now I can almost anticipate when I'm going to see Chris uh, go to go on his runs when I know that he's going to have the ball in the clutch. And like, they just have this um, understanding of what both can do. And it's a very, um, it's like what you need to have between um, uh, two players or a team that doesn't have the, you know, um, uh, uh, you know, Kevin Durant, James Harden, and, and Kyrie Irving on their team. You know, but you need to have that continuity, and you have to be able to kind of bring the very best out of one another. Um, and one thing that's interesting about Chris specifically is just like I'm very—I've been impressed with how he's embraced that um, 
no, knowing that he's going to have the ball and he's going to have to kind of cosplay as Kawhi Leonard <laughs> during the last <laughs> couple of minutes. And he's been doing a, a really great imitation, honestly. Like he's like, he's um, kind of showing out all his chops um, in these moments, uh, which I can't, I can't even hate. Like um, that's like the story of a team like Milwaukee. And it's even the story of what, you know, the Raptors had to do in 2019. They had to kind of, you don't have three superstars. You're going to have to bring the very best out of each other. You're going to have to all play roles. And honestly, like kind of the unsung hero of this postseason for Milwaukee to me has been uh, Bobby Portis, Mm -hmm. um, who's just had like, game swinging runs on his own he's like a one-man run honestly like he'll have a random burst of nine points single-handedly after kind of like consecutive uh possessions out of nowhere multiple games a series and it might not show up uh huge on every box score but those uh swings where he knows that he needs to bring energy that he can he has a moment to kind of rally everyone has really come through so i feel like um the bucks have really kind of just been bringing out the very best out of one another and i feel like the fact that they could see the finish line also gives them that extra oomph you know every night um it might you know we know how dicey the net series was even with you know um an unhealthy Kyrie or James Harden um uh, Kyrie missing after a couple games and James Harden being kind of a shell of himself it, it got dicey there and it was a one possession scenario so uh i think that coming out emerging out of there coming to the finals they see an opportunity and they know that they have more experience than uh Phoenix and i think that's the what it comes down to with Phoenix like you're seeing that they're being uh, challenged in a way they may have never been challenged before. Mm-hmm. You're saying it's like a dance is is really apt, I think, because it's also the thing they're also doing is making space for each other. And yeah, I think that kind of awareness um, and like that's like that's both awareness on the floor and as you said, this this kind of premonition of knowing when they're each going to go on their individual runs. That's something that I think grows out of teams' performances. Uh, in the playoffs I mean I I've seen some compare like I don't I'm reluctant to say like this reminds me of the Raptors championship run it does in as much only that I remember how dicey Toronto was like you know when you look at their that first series they had against the Magic and being like this team can't win Mm -hmm. (laughs) to the team that evolved you know, to the team to beat the Warriors. And like a good team will take, though like every series is different, every game in the playoffs is different. A good team will still take everything they've learned and like evolve in real time. And the fact that we've yeah. seen the Bucks do that through these playoffs is I think what is the crucial difference maker. Like we saw the stubbornness in seasons past um, from the team, from Bud, just these adjustments didn't happen or there would be over adjustments. And that kind of leads me to, you know, something you know dare I say do we have clutch coach Bud? because (laughs) we didn't see him last night specifically like you didn't see him flustered or starting to switch things up when Booker started hitting his shooting stride I think Mm -hmm. that was around like toward the end of the first quarter like or in the second as well like going into the half so you know is this man trusting his team (laughs) is he trusting himself um honestly yeah I think that I, I feel like the um, 
Coach Bud, he's like, he's far from perfect. Like, like you said, I, he does have a tendency to either not make adjustments or over adjust in a way that shows that he doesn't really trust his guys. Um, but I do feel like that uh, crit- criticism of him was kind of overstated. Like, uh, there, I feel like there's a, there's a threshold with the influence of a coach on the team even though that they have a they have a very important role, but I feel like it ultimately comes down to how much the team trusts their coach and how much they're willing to buy in. And uh, with the Bucks, um, I feel like the the journey they've had over the last few postseason, including this current one, it, it, it's collective. The coach grows with the team, you know, and I feel mm-hmm. like he's probably seeing what works best. He's probably seeing what. Um, how to best utilize his guys because ultimately he wants to win too. So I feel like being a coach, you have to have a really good balance of being stubborn and also being willing to, you know, throw the kitchen sink. And I feel like he's kind of reached that balance this postseason because he's been out coaching uh, Monty uh, with this. So, you know, the, uh, the first two games, you could tell that the Bucks were kind of recalibrating and assessing their opponent. And then all of the subsequent games after that, um, they've really hindered Chris Paul, who has been like the engine that has this team running. And if you kind of cut the head of the snake off, um, they've really really been um, kind of frazzled. Like they've kind of, the Suns, like they they look like they're kind of disoriented, I feel like, Mm. when they don't see, um, you know, the point god have the reach over the entire game that he usually does and you see that he's hindered by drew holiday who's just been probably giving him nightmares um but yeah that's that's i that's what i think that's a story of um bud and the bucks like they're just kind of growing together (laughs) and we did talk about it a little bit to start but just in terms of where the suns are at you know um as i said earlier like this will be a situation that they haven't felt yet. I think they've been, you know, they've, yeah, they were, they've, they've trailed once in the postseason, but otherwise they've had some pretty handy wins. I think at one point they won something like nine games straight. So like they're yeah. okay. Yeah. They, they're a team that I don't want to say they they're not accustomed to the hard work uh, of, of a playoff series, but I don't think they've felt, you know, their backs up against the wall. Like they're going to be in game six. Um, you know, the but the last two games also have been decided by six points or less. So these are also close finish situations. Mm-hmm. You know, Chris Paul has been like, he's been in clutch situations before he can do it, but I do kind of question, and we've seen Aiden too. Like, I don't want to count out Aiden. Like he had that wonderful value tip in that I do still think about, but Booker, Aiden, like these are still younger guys. Yeah. Um, and they're kind of trying to work and strive with Chris Paul. And I do have to wonder how they're going to pull it together um, for the next game, which is like win or go home. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I, injuries are like a part of the game. I mm-hmm. completely understand that. But this is like the first challenge I feel like the Suns have encountered. Um, you know, every round for them has featured um, a team missing a key piece. Um who their first their first round opponent was um, the Lakers. Uh, well, how far did AD make it? Like I feel like he was out after game one. Or yeah, I think he was out because they yeah. sort of rushed him back and then. Oh right, and then the, yeah. that didn't go well. No, nope. um, and then they had uh, the Nuggets with no Jamal Murray, mm-hmm. um, who I feel like 
after his last postseason, he would have provided some great counter scoring to, you know, Devin Booker and his prowess and everything. And then they um, had the um, their fi- their uh, conference finals against the Clippers team missing Kawhi um, and Serge Ibaka and everything. So this is like the first time they're encountering a team that's um, b- it, that is at full strength. And well, no, they're missing Thanasis, so they're not at full strength. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Um, so it's, it's interesting to see how they don't really, I hope, I hope next game we, I want a seven game series. So hopefully we see them kind of, you know, counter punch. Um, but it's taking them a moment to kind of get back up. Um, because I, I feel like having a, a postseason, unless you're like an all time great team, having a postseason that challenges you every series is like really important. I feel like when mm-hmm. coming to the finals, so ha- kind of going through easy street. Yeah. It guarantees you a finals appearance, but um, it also makes it, it makes, there's a higher chance that when you fall, you might struggle getting back up. Do you have a, a rooting interest in this series? Because like last night, it really struck me how my loyalty just swings like a crazy yeah, pendulum, like too. quarter to quarter, honestly, like I want, I want this for Chris Paul. I do really like the Suns, but then with like what Giannis has been doing, I mean, I suppose I'm more behind Giannis than I am the Bucks. But I do have to say, I turned Chris Middleton, like I said earlier, like I've come around on him, but I kind of came around on him when I did a deep dive into his Instagram and he's just the most <laughs> regular guy. He's um, so normal. He he's is so normal. He's just showing up to the tunnel in like a thin sweater vest, uh, <laughs> like just like a thin like a classic cashmere crew, some weird, like not quite well-fitting khakis. You know, he, he, he's the most regular dude who plays uh, in Milwaukee. So that's kind of why I turn around on him. But I have to say like, usually by now, if I didn't have a team in it, I would have picked like a very strong loyalty, but I can't. Yeah, me neither. I feel like I started out the series um, the, like the first couple games of the series, I was really behind um, the Suns because I just like the underdog kind of story. And I felt like it would be good for such a young um, star like Booker to um, win at his first finals. But um, <clears throat> uh, after I think after the first two, after the first the two uh, losses in Milwaukee for the Suns, I was like, OK, the Suns winning. I, I think I can conclude that it wouldn't be the best team of the two winning if the Suns emerged. Um, so I feel like the I'm, I'm more behind the Bucks taking it because I feel like they've earned it after um, doing the groundwork and laying that groundwork with this crew and they have the continuity. And no, I don't want Milwaukee to win, but <laughs> uh, I, yeah, Giannis is just, he's so deserving and um they, they, it's less of a, they're not in a house money situation. They're, mm-hmm. you know, they work to get here. Well, you know, like they say, the, the cream rises to the top and they are <laughs> cream city. Disgusting. <laughs> <laughs> Disgusting. Um, Yeah. So I think like, I'd like to see this, as you said, I'd like to also see this go to seven. I'd like to see the Suns um, win in Milwaukee. I wonder if Milwaukee can bring it home in Milwaukee. There, there is a weird amount of like pressure to do that. And I feel like that is something that can backfire on teams in a lot of ways, especially yeah. these playoffs where most teams <clears throat> have won on the road. 
then at home. Um, anyway, we'll see what happens. But, you know, we did, we do have a smooth seek into the next segment because the man never stops promoting. Uh, <laughs> LeBron James was at the game last night, <laughs> sitting courtside uh, alongside Adele. Um, also, like, how much pressure would you feel to sing the national anthem? Your Demi Lovato and Adele's right there. Oh, <laughs> Like, um, yeah, I know. I, I thought you were going to say how much pressure uh, Adele felt to sing the national anthem. I'm like, what? <laughs> Imagine she rich? rushes the floor. <laughs> that would be awkward. <laughs> um, yeah. No, Le- LeBron never stops uh, promoting, basically, yeah. is what I wanted to say. Yeah. Uh, he's always, he's always in, um, yeah, he's always in promotion route, uh, mode. Uh, it, <laughs> It's a, I I watched it the other day. Um, well, first I wanted to ask you, like, were you a fan of the first Space Jam? Like, I think some people treat it as a real holy relic. And yeah. It wasn't for me, but I do remember collecting cereal box tops at the time to send away for Space Jam shorts. Um, yeah. but, um, I have very yeah. clear memories of watching it as a toddler. Uh, it's, uh, I honestly, like, I don't, it's not, it doesn't hold, like, a special place in my you know uh in in my not uh, uh nostalgia or anything like it, I, it doesn't like um it's not something I hold dear like I know some people it's like their top you know it's I don't know if they're kind of just trying to placate their inner child <laughs> when they list it as their among their favorite movies but um I don't remember it being that good but I do remember uh loving the um uh the like how how it, it, there's something just like the juxtaposition of like um of uh of michael jordan who was just like so serious <laughs> um with all of these graphic cartoons around him it was like that in of itself that contrast i feel like gave it some artistic direction i feel like the film um whereas this one it, it honestly like i i wrote a piece on it re, uh for i i think it should go up today but um it, it was kind of like a scrolling through TikTok for like two hours. <laughs> and like the algorithm is not quite right. So you're just keep, you can just keep going. Um, it, it just felt like a really long ad. Like it felt like it was mm-hmm. every scene was put for, it was put before a focus group and they encoded <laughs> with like buttons on what they, what, you know, elicits, elicits like the most uh, visceral, response and like it, I, I I said that it it was kind of like a psyop operation every scene like they they're trying to like really pull at any kind of um reaction that an audience could have and try and put that in as many consecutive scenes as possible like it was just it was kind of overwhelming <laughs> watching it yeah like a lot of overstimulation yeah it was just a lot like the editing the pace of the editing alone will give you heart palpitations like it was <laughs> It was, it was a lot. Um, well, I do, I want you to kind of take me through it, starting with, does LeBron's son get kidnapped by the internet? <laughs> uh, it's complicated. I don't want to spoil it, but um, the, I actually liked the basis of the plot, which was kind of like um, allowing your kid to kind of choose a fate different from yours and stuff like that. And I'm like, oh, that could have been interesting. Um, and it all kind of, led to like this climax of, of a crap ton of cameos um which I like there are parts of the cameo like I love Damian Lillard's character 
um, and how they kind of portrayed him as like a time wielding robot. <laughs> and I, I honestly wish the movie was just kind of reinterpreting um, basketball players through like maybe a more fantastical magic realist lens. And I wish that was a direction, but you know, I, I, the, 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 but the, I, I will mention this. The part that I absolutely hated was that it was, there were parts where Warner brothers was just like full on advertising their company. Well, cause was, aren't like, isn't everything that's under their IP, like in terms of the cameos under like in this movie. Yeah. Yeah, it was it was literally just cross promotion for entire segments, which I thought was just so strange. Um, and it, I don't know, it wasn't even like in a, a self deprecating way. Mm-hmm. Like it was it was very like look at all our classics and stuff. I think like I and I might be remembering this incorrectly because I haven't seen it in a long time and I haven't wanted to do a rewatch. But I think those first Space Jam at least did cater to some more like tongue in cheek and like winking, as you said, like self depreciative references of itself, or just understanding that two audiences, like a kid and a parent, were, you know, presumably yeah. watching that movie together. So you can balance that humor, but uh, this doesn't sound like that happened. Yeah, it was a little more meta. And I feel like it was like, um, in a way, there i feel like the scenes some scenes in the for, in the first one like they 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 kind of um i feel like the writers were probably subjected to less oversight <laughs> from um probably you know the the management of michael jordan and everything whereas i feel mm-hmm. like um even though it was kind of like supposed to be like a semi autobiographical kind of thing whereas i feel like this film was very catered to um LeBron and what he wanted to see and everything like that and the 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 artistic license was probably less than what they had before but um it's interesting I feel like the the um appeal of this one it's weird because I feel like the first one came about um during a time where it worked whereas I feel like this one is coming about in a time where I feel like it's probably going to, it's going to be big in the box office and then it's probably not going to be remembered again, or might, might see a Netflix release or something soon. And that's it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like I, I, I went into a whole rabbit hole when I was um, writing about this and I was talking about um, part of the appeal of like Michael Jordan in the early nineties and his ascent into like kind of global superstardom. It came like, as uh, right after, or I feel like his his trajectory really went upward when um, the Berlin Wall fell, and there was kind of like you did uh, go deep. <laughs> it, it, it's a real rap, <laughs> but it 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 really came in a time where I feel like a lot of there was a very there was kind of like this um, band kind of allure of American culture in a, in half the world. Mm-hmm. So it, you see it even with like past um, uh, pop, it, all sorts of pop pop icons, like with uh, Madonna and like any so many superstars. Um, there was like this. Um, it's really hard to explain, but it's kind of like prohibition, where prohibition, where you know you, you, they banned a substance, but then it just kind of made it um, huge in like an underground kind of way. Um, and it made it, um, it, it kind of gave it, it, it gives something, I feel like more, um, 
artistic kind of license when something is kind of banned and it 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 it's wanted by an audience that just kind of wants access to it. It it gives it this allure that I don't think <laughs> exists right now. Or I feel like everything is so hyper accessible um, today. So and it was kind of reflected in the movie where it felt like a really long commercial. Um, mm-hmm. Whereas before, I feel like um, when you think about Space Jam and you think about um, its global appeal and how you'll see like cutouts of. Um, Michael Jordan and like uh, towns in East Germany and everything. It's just kind of a different uh, cultural ecosystem. And it, and this one really reflected it in how hyper like commercialized everything was. Like almost a more vapid reflect, like a true reflection of our times and that it's a little bit more vapid. Uh, I yeah. Think, in, like, yeah, 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 exactly. Like it felt, when I say that it felt like scrolling through TikTok, I really mean it. <laughs> like, yeah, like you, you mentally check out and you enter like a fugue state in your brain basically. Um, but yeah, like I think the first one, this it hit the success it did, not because like the game of basketball was at this like all-time high globally. It's like the recognition of Jordan was at an all-time high exactly, yeah. globally and anyone wanted a piece. And like, as you said, to be really close to that. And now I think, you know, we're seeing a overt rejection of American culture because it is like, it is so permeative. It's, it's been everywhere for so long that I think- It's almost people, annoying. Like, yes, yeah. <laughs> also so annoying. So like inward looking and indulgent of itself. And I think, you know, now if you want that, you can, as you said, like with the internet, you can just access it. The internet, social, whatever. So yeah, I can go on Twitter and argue with Kevin Durant if I wanted. Exactly. (laughs) This is like an unprecedented time for (laughs) access to like American, yeah, American culture, like Americana uh, as a whole. So it's interesting to me. And, but in some ways, like that also, I get why LeBron is the perfect, you know, the perfect epitome of this right now. He's like Pepsi Cola. Mm-hmm. He just—he's like the perfect um, face to have for a project like that. That's why I'm mm-hmm. like—that's why I'm not getting caught up in calling it a good or bad film. Like it was bad, <laughs> obviously, but like, <laughs> I don't think that matters ultimately. I don't think that was a purpose. I don't think the purpose was to be good because it's totally easy to it, like. It's for a big studio to make a good movie. They know how to do it, you know. And sometimes that's not the goal of the project. And I feel like a lot of people saying, yeah, what do you expect? It's a kid's movie. Of course, it's going to be bad. Like there have been tons of kids movies that have been like critically acclaimed, you know, like in the past 10 or 20 years. Mm -hmm. So it's totally possible to make uh, like a cinematically like sound children's film. It's been done plenty of times before. Um, I think the most recent was probably something like uh, uh, Into the Spider-Verse or something like it's it's been done before. Um, but it wasn't the intent in this case. So um, I think that there's a way to kind of uh, appreciate it for its value, um, but it's probably not going to be through looking at it in the lens of film. But um, I think that in <laughs> watching this movie in like 10 years time, um, you're going to get a glimpse into culture post, like, you know, mid pandemic 2021. And I feel like it's probably going to be kind of a relic of that time. If I ever want to remember what it was like to be 27 years old I'll just watch that movie (laughs) yeah it's gonna get grouped into that canon for sure and I also think that's why at least here in Canada um I saw so many people that I swear to god have just like never had an interest in basketball just like my most artistic friends (laughs) being like yeah I just saw Space Jam because (laughs) the theater's open and it's like the biggest blockbuster that was playing so it was more as you say like 
emotion of like a return to some kind of like pre-pandemic state. Yeah. Like the biggest way that you could do it uh, was by seeing Space Jam 2. And I know that people will be yearning just to spend money, you know? Yes. <laughs> so just like make make something they can just kind of eat and like satisfy that hunger and just kind of move on. And they, they'll be willing to give their bucks to it because it's freaking LeBron James. And they mission accomplished. That's exactly what they did. So, Bill, I do want to ask you, though, um, how was Clay? How did he do? Honestly, um, <laughs> that scene, that climax scene where it featured um, uh, AD and uh, Dame Lillard and all those cameos and everything, it was kind of like a blur. Like it was like a fever dream. Damn. Uh, it was very like stylistically um, intense. And honestly, the effects, the graphic effects, like the the CGI characters mixed with the um, uh, like the the real people <laughs> in the movie was like very like aesthetically uh, gross. Like it just did not look right. Um, and like it just it, it almost annoyed me. Like there are times where I would just like look at my phone during that part. <laughs> Aesthetically it was, it was gross. Too much. It was too much. But I honestly like if you're not an NBA fan, it would have been kind of hard to know who's who. Right. That that was the annoying thing because they didn't sound like themselves. They didn't look exactly like themselves. Like it was kind of difficult. And I'm like, you you probably think like what the hell is going on? There's a really funny uh when when Chanae Ogumukwe interviewed her sister Neka on her yeah. show, and they're talking about like the lines they had to learn because Neka's in it. Um, she was saying how Dame at one point got annoyed with her because she's like, I was feeling it. Like I just started ad-libbing and Dame was <laughs> like, you you can't <laughs> stick to the script. <laughs> she was ad-libbing. And he- it, really like, feeling it. <laughs> yeah, he was really feeling it. But I would say like as the person who, you know, uh, purports himself to be like a recording artist, okay. and, like, <laughs> No freestyle. I would hope with ad-libbing on some bars, he didn't. He didn't. He didn't want that happening on this film. That's hilarious. <laughs> um, he said, "No freestyling." Yeah, no freestyling, please. Um, well, okay. I'm still undecided. Like now, you've 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 sort of enticed me to see it, perhaps as a cultural exercise. Yeah, a case study. <laughs> yeah, a case study. Um, maybe at a time when my brain feels vacant enough that it's just like a one big doom scroll maybe but uh i'm in no rush yeah you know <laughs> you're not you're not you're not missing out <laughs> that feels like a pretty fine place to end it yeah uh you mentioned the story that you wrote for space jam about space jam too but is there anything else that you want to promote uh no no <laughs> <laughs> I just, I, I, I watched that. I, I wrote some, like, I kind of, like, puked on the page <laughs> with my writing about it. Like, I had so many thoughts. It was kind of overwhelming. Like, I just, like, had a, it's borderline incoherent. Like, you saw me go into that rabbit hole of, like, the Berlin Wall and everything and uh, Soviet allied nations and teenagers and Gen X and everything. And it was just kind of too much. But, um, yeah, I'm sure that would be, that one will be released today or tomorrow or something. But, yeah, until next time, everyone. Thanks for, thanks for joining us. How about you, Katie? Anything you've written up lately? <laughs> uh, 
Yeah, I mentioned it. I uh, I got to interview Chene Ogumakwed. Uh, She's super cool. Uh, so oh, that's yeah, on dime. That piece, everyone. Yeah, but she she rules. I'm so happy for her. I'm so mad that Neka can't play for Team Nigeria. But I know they're um, they're what's the word? Oh my god, appealing <laughs> that decision. Eva oh. just like needs to get with the times. That's what I'll say. But uh, in the meantime, yeah, you can read that if you like. And that's it. <laughs> So All right. Thanks. Bye, everyone. Yeah. Thanks for joining us uh, for another episode of Dishes and Dimes. <laughs>